Is hair your crowning glory? And you've gone into perimenopause and suddenly you've noticed that your hair is thinning. Maybe it's even falling out and you feel sad and you feel confused about what it is that you should be doing. Today on the podcast, I am joined with one of the world's leading hair loss experts, Dr. Alan Bauman of Bauman Medical, to talk more in detail about women's hair loss and some of the ways you can maintain a beautiful head of hair as you age. Join us. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa Christensen. I am super excited to be talking about a topic that we have never addressed six seasons of the podcast and we have not addressed this one. And this is the topic of hair loss. And I know that it's a key factor among women in perimenopause and menopause. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined by a true expert in this field, Dr. Alan Bauman. Welcome, Alan, Dr. Alan. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Clarissa. It's really a pleasure to be with you. It is fantastic. I'm just going to tell my audience a little bit about you. Uh, we'll have a lot more about your bio in the show notes, but you are a full-time board-certified hair restoration physician. You've been working in the space for more than 25 years. You've treated tens of thousands of patients, men and women. And as we were talking before we came on the show, hair loss is really something we're seeing much more in women. So I'm looking forward to diving deep into what's causing this and particularly what we can do and what the future looks like for women because we kind of like our hair, whether it's short or long, it's kind of important to us and how we present ourselves in the world. Absolutely. So maybe, Dr. Allen, what I'd love to do is to start and talk about why is hair loss now becoming a much greater problem in midlife women? Mm. Well, I mean, as you kind of uh, insinuated, obviously, hair is very important. How we perceive ourselves, how we look in the mirror, how we present ourselves. Hair is something that's evolutionarily ingrained in us. Uh, we want to look good and feel good. And, and in doing so, having a good, beautiful thick and healthy, lush head of hair is very often a part of our self-image. We were born with a thick, healthy head of hair, typically, uh, even though there are some variations ethnically and also related to hair quality and caliber, texture and curl and things like that. Um, so it is always kind of an important part of, of our daily life, right? You know, styling our hair and dealing with it. So when hair follicles turn to, you know, start to fail, let's say, and, and hair loss starts to come on, whether it's an excessive shedding or you're noticing just less hair volume, the ponytail is shrinking. It can be a very, very uh, concerning situation because it seems like something that we don't have so much control over. It seems like something is slipping away that is related to our youth and our vitality. And so it can have deep psychologic Im impact. And so in women, uh, we see this uh, really triggering sometimes around the time of childbirth, you know, where is a time we see some shedding, yeah. but uh, probably more commonly in and around the time of hormonal shifts and changes in perimenopause and menopause. Yeah, definitely. And I think women would talk about shedding a lot and, and suddenly the hair's just coming loss and it, and it changes in texture as well, not only hair loss, but we're actually seeing sort of changes in the quality of our hair, aren't we? Yeah, the changes in the quality of the curl and also even the color, obviously, is a very big uh, concern about uh, our hair. And we want to keep our hair in a youthful color. And sometimes when it starts to go gray, we 
you know, we take action. And uh, some people, you know, go gray, you know, right after puberty, uh, unfortunately, and others it can take longer. Um, but yeah, keeping our hair healthy is, I think, something that's, it, for me, helping our patients keep their hair healthy has been very, very rewarding. And uh, as we mentioned right before we got on uh, the air today, you know, in my practice, I've seen a lot of changes, not just in the desire and the ability for us to be able to treat women's hair loss, uh, but the effectiveness of these therapies and treatments over time have really greatly improved. And so it's a very exciting time to be in the field uh, of hair loss treatments and uh, hair restoration in general. There's been so many great new diagnostic tools and treatments available, and the future is very, very bright. So, you know, that would be a good way to kind of start off our conversation that, you know, if someone's out there with hair loss, you know, stay tuned. There's a lot we can do about it. Absolutely. And I think that's really good news because we think back to our mother's generation, then it was kind of like your hair thinned. That was kind of it. Uh, it went gray. You might have dyed it for a while, but in the end, there was a sort of inevitability. And I can picture in my mind, my grandmothers with quite thin, mm. you know, not very attractive looking hair. And that was, that was it. So it, that's really good news, Dr. Allen, that we can now not have that as our trajectory. Um, because sometimes we are only like, 45, 50, and we've got another 50 years to live. So there is a big shift, I think, as well. Absolutely. As we, you know, increase our lifespan and health span, you know, uh, we definitely want to also increase our hair span, as we say in the world of, uh, you know, biohacking and longevity uh, and health and wellness yeah. and anti-aging. So yeah, it's all part of it to keep our hair looking good and feeling good, for sure. Absolutely. And hair loss in women is different. We touched a little on that being hormonal. But how does it sort of unfold relative to men? We notice men go a bit bald up here and they kind of bald and it's fine to be bald or maybe not. But, but how is that actual mechanism different yeah. between men and women? So, uh, yeah, as you described, hair loss in men is visible from across the room. Typically, you see receding hairline, bald spot developing in the crown, and it's very easy to see. In women, it's more subtle when you're looking at it from a social distance. So someone might be losing quite a bit of hair, but yet still looks okay. Um, they might notice that their ponytail is shrinking, that their part line is widening, but they may be dissuaded from their dermatologist or even their cosmetologist or stylist to actually take any kind of action because they say, oh, you look fine. But what we know is that those hair follicles are being dysregulated and sometimes it's caused by genetics. So just like male pattern hair loss, female pattern hair loss happens in a very specific pattern, usually preserving the hair around the sides and the back, but thinning out the areas up on top. So the frontal zone can start to weaken in a diffuse pattern. And then later on, it might recede a little bit in the temple areas as well. But generally, it's this diffuse loss, primarily in the frontal zone, where you see that widening part line and loss of volume and a change in texture and color. Um, and so why exactly is this happening? Well, there, as I said, there's a genetic tendency that uh, is really going to evolve and, and express itself as we get through those hormonal changes. Do we know exactly which hormone triggers uh, hair loss or hair growth? Well, we're not quite so sure. It's not so simple. Uh, as we know in men, specifically, there's a hormone called DHT, which can disrupt and miniaturize hair follicles. We believe that postmenopausally, DHT does play a role. That's an androgen, right? A male hormone or a metabolite yes. of yes. testosterone. Um, but we also see hair growth is improving during, for example, um, pregnancy. So what are those changes that are occurring during pregnancy in the body 
that's causing the follicles to stay in the growing phase much longer to provide a much more thicker, healthier hair growth. Um, you know, and some of that we know, and maybe some of that we don't. Why is the skin so much healthier and so forth? Maybe the baby has an uh, impact, you know, symbiotically with the woman uh, through these growth factors, through um, exosomes perhaps that are shared between the mother and the child uh, that tend to rejuvenate the hair and the skin during that time. And then once the baby is born, hormone levels crash, that uh, symbiotic relationship is, is cut, so to speak. The cord is cut. And then, uh, you know, you have two separate entities and the mom is left with a period potentially of shedding, excessive shedding. And within that next month, that could be quite severe. And that may actually uh, reveal some underlying tendency towards female pattern hair loss. Uh, so sometimes if you've had that happen to you in pregnancy and you go into perimenopause, menopause, that might be a sign to look out for that that could happen. Have I understood that correctly? Absolutely. It might mean, you know, if, you're, if you've seen a lot of shedding post-pregnancy, then that might mean that your uh, hair follicles are very sensitive to those hormonal shifts and that might predict how you're going to respond to perimenopause and menopause later on, for sure. But there's a lot of environmental factors that can also affect your hair, not just how you style it with heat, and chemicals, uh, adding on hair extensions, which pulling and traction. Um, you know, I mean, we just talked about the primary uh, female or hereditary causes of hair loss, but there are many others as well. If you're not well nourished, nutrients and fuel intake is important. You're not sleeping well. You have high levels of stress. Exposure to the cortisol hormone, of course, over time yes. can dysregulate the hair follicle function. If your scalp health is not on point, if you have itching, inflammation, uh, whether it's oily, flaky, dry, something going on at the level of the scalp can definitely dysregulate hair follicle function as well and cause excessive shedding uh, uh, you know, from that irritation and uh, a poorer quality of hair being grown from those hair follicles at the level of the scalp. So the soil needs to be uh, healthy in the garden as well uh, if you want the plants to thrive, so to speak, as we say. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds like that's, that's, you know, same thing we would say for the skin, for the gut microbiome, for anything that, you know, we have to have a baseline level of health that's going to support our health and our hair health in this stage. So, so true. Yeah. Yes. I think so. Yep. Absolutely. Everywhere there's we micro, are. We yeah. This microbiome of the scalp is critical. And when that becomes disrupted, uh, that's when you start to see the dandruff and the flaking and the irritation and the inflammation. I mean, it's literally a fungal overgrowth in many cases. So that can be a problem. And that needs to be diagnosed and, and, and tweezed out, you know, dissected out what's going on at the level of the scalp, for sure. Interesting. That's really interesting. I think we're just learning, aren't we, really, that microbiomes are everywhere and we are needing to nurture and care for ourselves in those things. But say then, we've, we've obviously got, this halos going on, what are some of the frontline treatment options that women can uh, turn to? Sure. So, well, it all starts with the appropriate diagnosis, obviously. When someone comes into the clinic, we're going to take that complete evaluation of all those lifestyle factors that we mentioned, everything from diet, nutrition, sleep-wake cycles, stress level, and stress management, uh, as well as do biomarker testing and lab work, whether it be um, blood work or saliva for hormone levels and such. Look at the scalp, but we're going to do some density measurements. We're going to do hair caliber measurements. We have AI powered microscopes now, artificial intelligence, which can give us some ideas on how the density is in the back of the scalp versus the front, 
what's the average hair thickness in each area, how many hairs per grouping or follicular unit, as we say, in the field of hair and uh, hair restoration. So those are some of the things that we look at to try to figure out what's going on. We can even do genetic testing to see what metabolic pathways might be influencing your hair loss situation and predict which treatments might work best for you. Um, so if we can rectify or adjust those lifestyle factors, great. Uh, but many times there are other things that we would like to do, whether it be nutritional supplementation and, uh, you know, very often we are adding more protein into the diet. We're adding probiotics. We're adding uh, a good quality multivitamin and minerals. Sometimes we're adding herbal treatments, which can help with stress and adapting to stress like ashwagandha, for example. Um, you know, there's a variety, even decreasing inflammation in the body with curcumin, turmeric and so forth. Um, but oftentimes we've got to add in some more medical grade treatments, right? So the next level up, right? Beyond nutritionals yes, and supplements yes. and hair care products, um, you know, we've got to level it up. And so when it's time to do that, we might look at pharmaceutical intervention. So medications such as minoxidil, which was traditionally a topical medication, can now be applied orally. We might use a medical grade or FDA cleared device like red light therapy device, such as a turbo laser cap at home. So those are some of the things that we maybe would start off with because they're easier to do. Um, but knowing that we have now a baseline measurement, we can now track it on into the future and see what's going on and see how you're responding to therapies and treatments. So we know exactly what's working. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's really kind of like going from basic baseline correction to starting to really intervene. And I think that's interesting. And one of the questions I would ask you, because a lot of women will be asking that, what is the role of hormone therapy in this? Mm. I mean, is that one of the frontline treatments that you recommend, or does that actually have any impact at all? In well, you know, looking at hormone uh, levels, of course, are important. Everything from cortisol to thyroid to the female hormones, uh, making sure that you're optimized is a good plan of action, not just for your hair, of course. And so there are optimal levels that you want to be looking at. But one of the things that I've noticed also is that if you're genetically sensitive to those androgens, sometimes uh, physicians might overshoot the amount of testosterone, for example, that you might need. Of course, testosterone in women postmenopausally is great benefit, but yeah. it could have a detrimental effect on your hair. And so that is a discussion that you want to have with your hormone replacement specialist or your anti-aging specialist, whoever it is that's handling that. Um, here in my practice, we have an entire department just like we have for scalp health, we have an entire department of functional medicine uh, that's geared to looking at those biomarkers because sometimes something that's going to be helpful improving your lifestyle might be working against you in terms of hair. And it's a little bit of a back and forth and a tug of war. Um, and just a great example of that, for example, would be testosterone replacement in a woman who is androgen sensitive. That can have that detrimental effect that we mentioned earlier, whereas a receding hairline oh, yeah. or some thinning up in the frontal zone might be accelerated by those androgens. But don't worry. The good news is that even with androgen replacement and hormone replacement therapy, you can still protect and enhance the hair. And so many of the things I've previously mentioned, whether it's a topical or oral minoxidil product, such as 82M, um, we can also use the oral minoxidil microdosing schedule and laser light therapy can help mitigate that. Treatments like PRP, platelet-rich plasma, injectable treatments, yeah. and other in-office treatments can help protect the, and enhance the function of those follicles over time. Um, the trick is to make sure we protect those follicles before they're beyond repair. Because once you get to that point, then, you know, 
it becomes a little bit of a tougher game to play to restore the uh, those follicles into those areas. You know, obviously through transplantation requires a little bit more of a heroic effort. <laughs> yes, definitely. And then that's really interesting because um, women obviously being, you know, told that, you know, testosterone, not just estrogen, progesterone is like good all around. But I think you've, you've really yeah. sort of pulled some thought markers into that women should be considering or working to get the dosaging right with their hair as a, as a consideration too. So I think that's, that's very vital, I think, for the listeners to, to consider in this. And it's interesting you're mentioning techniques that, you know, have been very familiar in the skin area. So PRP platelets I'm very familiar with in my days in Sydney. It was very, very big treatment in Australia. And sure. also, and also that you're using like lasers as well. So I think that's, there's a really interesting crossover there. And I suppose that gives women like, ah, so this works for my skin could work for my hair too. That, that's great. Yes. And so, uh, that means the application of the dosing strategy for hair might be a little bit different. You know, we like to use yeah. a, a little bit higher concentration of platelets. We have a very specific way that we dual spin the PRP, uh, things that we add to the PRP, whether it be a biologic scaffold, that's biologic material that's implantable or a synthetic scaffold like polydioxinone or threads can also be combined with the PRP. Uh, we can also use topical exosomes and so forth. So those are methods of, let's just say, regeneration and rejuvenation that leverage your body's own healing ability to regrow the hair thicker and stronger and better. And today we know uh, after 12,000 PRP treatments, for example, uh, what I believe, and we're always improving, but we're, we believe we have a very strong therapy, which is just a one single treatment per year. And we've measured that in thousands and thousands, over 10,000 patients have had that PRP treatment. And we know that it typically lasts about 10 to 14 months. So that's a very, very nice adjunct to whether you're doing some treatments at home or, uh, you know, even a, a, a lifestyle regimen. If you want to keep it non-chemical, the correct amount of platelets is really critical in order to get the right result in terms of hair regrowth. And then you have to give it some time, right? Because it's not an overnight yeah. cure. <laughs> it, takes, it takes months no. to measure those improvements. And it could take up to a year to see the full improvement with just a single PRP treatment. That's amazing though, isn't it? I mean, one single treatment. We, we've kind of got thinking that you have to have treatment after treatment, but really here, very powerful. And I think that's, that's, I just, I'm blown away. One treatment could last like 10, 10, 12 plus months. That's, that's Yeah, well, that's actually the research that I presented uh, once upon a time at the International Society of Hair Restoration Surgery. We did those clinical trials to show that the addition of the biologic materials, the scaffolds, if you will, um, is what enhances and prolongs the effect of the PRP. And many physicians are just not familiar with regenerative medicine. It's something that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, I've done everything from bank my own hair follicle stem cells to attend to the World Stem Cell Summit. Uh, to providing a variety of different types of therapies with growth factors and peptides. Uh, using regenerative medicine really has been a huge part of my practice, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but, it, you know, it's been a long time. You know, again, PRP in the practice is now 15 years old or more since we've got, uh, you know, our first PRPs under our belt. And we use PRP and other those other regenerative treatments, even with hair transplantation as a standalone therapy. I mean, there's a lot of work that we do uh, with those growth factors and platelets because they have such a powerful biologic effect or they can if applied properly. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned in there as well, Dr. Allen, that it's important at timing. 
This is something about the follicles. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Explain, explain why timing is important and, and why, if we wait too long, that may not be able to restore the hair in quite the same way. Sure. So in the field of hair loss and hair restoration, we say time is follicles. And what we mean by that is that hair loss is a chronic and progressive condition. It's something that's set in motion much earlier than we usually become aware of it. And it continues to progress and get worse slowly over time with some, uh, you know, more, let's say, visible signs, you know, whether it be a sudden shed or something like that, that could be occurring. But typically it's something that progresses over time. And hair follicles have growth cycles, right? So a hair follicle produces hair. Think of it like a 3D printer. It's producing a hair fiber for a period of time. And then hopefully maybe five, seven years or longer. And then it stops, it shuts down, and then it reboots itself over the course of 90 days. And then it starts again. But if those growth cycles go from, you know, five or 10 years all the way down to five or 10 months, what you end up with are these shorter broken hairs. And that's a very, very common sign of female pattern hair loss, these miniaturized hairs that almost look like they've snapped off and broken. Well, they typically haven't, you know, snapped off like a tree branch or something like that. You know, what happens is those growth cycles are just becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. And so eventually when that little tiny hair sheds out, the next one that grows back is just a little bit shorter and shorter and so forth until finally the follicle becomes beyond repair. And so the take-home point is that you want to try to preserve and enhance the function of those follicles while they're still able to be rejuvenated. And that's why early treatment is always the best treatment and is going to save you from needing extensive hair transplants later on in life. Yeah. So, so do women actually notice this this is happening soon enough to be able mm-hmm. to action? What are some of those signs? Gosh, well, Clarissa, here's the thing that we know, right? The signs and symptoms, we kind of touched on the shedding, the widening part yeah. line, maybe yeah. changes at the hairline, broken hairs, those types of things, the smaller ponytail volume. Those are the signs and symptoms, right? Um, but you can lose 50% of the density. That means the numbers of hairs in an area of scalp can decrease by half. And it will still look like a pretty full head of hair. It will still give you coverage of the scalp. And that's one of the reasons why many women who go to dermatologists or go to their cosmetic surgeons and they complain about hair loss and they get brushed off and it's terrible because remember time is follicles. So if you've gotten brushed off by your stylist or dermatologist saying, oh, you've got plenty of hair. Don't worry, honey. You know, I would say get a measurement and get it quick. So the measurements are going to be able to tell us how much hair has been lost in each different zone, what the quality of the hair is in each different zone. And then that becomes your baseline moving forward. So you can't manage what you can't measure. And uh, that's why different types of measurements are available today. But the measurement is one of the most important interventions, aside from making that first call to the, you know, to the clinic (laughs) to get the, uh, to get the appointment. I mean, the next most important thing that often gets missed is a measurement of what exactly you have in each different zone. So you know where you are, you know, otherwise you're not going to know what's happening. So, so that's a critical, critical step um, that sets in motion this feedback loop, if you will, treatment, intervention, compliance, or adherence to the therapy, and then measure again, right? After a period of time. So the timing again is important. So 90 days, and then we remeasure. And so we should be seeing some improvements mathematically in those areas, even if it doesn't show itself visually yet, we'll see some action. 
Yeah. And then once, so really it's getting there, getting fast, you're noticing your hair shedding, get tested, get the intervention working. And then once women have an intervention, do they then continue with that for the rest of their life? Is that, well, well that's, that's a great, really the protocol. Yeah. And that's a great question. So, you know, when we're talking about female pattern hair loss, it is a chronic and progressive condition. As we've spent time talking about, it is going to require treatments over the long run if you want to maintain hair follicle function. So just like taking care of your skin, your bones, your muscle, your brain, this is something you need to be focused on. If you're, if you want to prioritize it, if you care about your hair, it is something that's going to become part of your beauty regimen, your daily regimen, your teeth. Like, well, just like we take care of our teeth, we brush and we floss, we visit a dentist and we intervene when necessary. The same is true for your hair. It's an appendage, but it needs care after we live a certain amount of time. Um, if we're dealing with an area of the scalp that let's say it has a scar from, you know, cosmetic procedure or an injury or trauma, obviously that's not something that's going to progress, but, uh, you know, a transplant can fix that area. But if you're losing hair in and around that zone, then all of a sudden that scar becomes visible. Like I had a patient just last week who came in, she had a brow lift many years ago. And she didn't even realize how big the scar was until she started losing hair in that area. And then all of a sudden, the scar started to shine Whoa. through. Or an eyebrow loss, right? Eyebrow loss can occur with age. It can occur with thyroid conditions. Other things can happen there, injury or trauma. If we replace the eyebrow with the transplant, then that's going to be permanent. That's going to be there forever. Those follicles are going to live and grow there. Um, Brilliant. so it's, it's important to know what the diagnosis is. If you've had a scarring alopecia from an injury, we can fix it. Um, other types of alopecias, autoimmune alopecias are more difficult. They don't, you know, you're not going to require a hair transplant, but require medications. Yeah. So yeah, that is, that is like, yeah, you said it maintenance, just like we take everything else or mm -hmm. hair. And I think that's a big shift for the listeners because we usually think, oh yeah, I'll buy products, I'll go to the hairdressers, it'll be fine. But that mm -hmm. isn't that isn't the future, is it, where we should be going with our hair? Well, no. Well, look, you might need different hair care products as your hair changes in terms of texture and curl and color and style and so forth. Um, of course, you know, the right hair care products are important. Keeping your scalp healthy, you said microbiome is important. But Absolutely. those products are going to have a minimal effect on the hair follicle, which is an organ under your skin, mm -hmm. right? That's going to yeah. make those hair fibers grow. That's what we want. We want to yeah. produce better hair fibers. So in order to do that, it might be annual PRP. It might be a daily topical. It's a prescription. It might be a daily oral treatment. You might have to use a laser at night for five minutes at night. You know, these are things that you're going to need to do and focus on if you really truly want to maintain the best head of hair possible. And that's what we're aiming for with our patients here at Bauman. Absolutely. So if you've left it too late, this is the other question. Hair transplantation and women, not so maybe something we're familiar with. We're familiar with men having a hair transplant, but with women, how does that work? Is it the same? And what is the success rate of a hair transplant? Yeah. So hair transplants in women have changed a lot over the years. Um, you know, hair transplants in women are very, very delicate to perform. And so there are, you know, thousands of clinics around the world that can perform hair transplants in men. They shave the head and transplant like crazy, you know, whether it looks aesthetically pleasing at the end or not, uh, you know, that that's, you know, uh, clinic and surgeon dependent, but just even, um, 
addressing female hair loss in a way that we can go now today with microsurgery in between existing hairs, that's something that we didn't have years and years ago. And that requires a lot of nuance. It requires a lot of skill, instrumentation, as I mentioned, magnification, right? As well as lighting and so forth. And this application of techniques that don't require a total shave. And so we've developed that technology here at Bauman Medical and nearly 50% of our patients are women. In fact, even today, uh, we have a female patient who's in for restoring and enhancing her hairline and temple areas. And we are doing that with a minimally invasive follicular unit extraction approach. That's F-U-E approach. So there's no scalpel. There's no stitches. There's no linear scar. There's no big, long wound to heal. We take each individual grouping of hairs, literally as little as a single hair follicle, one at a time. And those are being implanted into the thinning or the balding areas over the course of a full day procedure, which could be, you know, anywhere from, you know, five to six hours potentially in the chair. And uh, that's a process that's going to restore her own living and growing hair into those areas. Now, of course, she's got to go through about a week of healing, crusting and so forth. And then she's got to wait for about four to six months for the hairs to start to grow. But then they'll be there permanently. Wow, that's fantastic. That That's something we don't hear very much about in the in the kind of wider world. And that is amazing. And 50% of your patients are now are now female in this space. That, that is correct. Um, yeah. Wow. And we include I mean, with that, are... you know, that, that patient, just as an example, she has some thinning that's going further back, but it, it's not amenable to transplant at this time. So we're using regenerative treatments, which means PRP, uh, polydioxinone threads, what we call PDO grow into those areas, some topical exosomes all through those areas. In addition to her own home therapies, you know, to try to protect those areas so that we don't need to come back and transplant them too quickly. Fantastic. That's fantastic. So it's really this combination of treatments that, that span, as you say, lifestyle through the, the regenerative, through to the hair transplantation where required for different types of patients. One group, one group of patients obviously is cancer patients. Now mm. they lose their hair as a result, particularly of their chemical treatments that sure. they go under. How is hand transplantation suitable or hair regenerative processes suitable? Right. So, so hair loss in cancer patients, as you mentioned, it can be a sudden, a sudden shock, uh, you know, to the hair follicles, they shut down. Remember that hair follicles are the most highly metabolic cell population in the body. They have one of the highest, if not the highest mitotic or division rates. And so that's why when you take a treatment that's aimed at cancer, also highly metabolic, highly mitotic or division rates, right? Growing fast. That's why it interrupts not only your hair follicles, but also your gut lining, uh, your bone marrow. Those are all very, very metabolic, uh, uh, you know, cell populations in the body. So that's the cause of it. Um, for most uh, cancer patients today, uh, they can undergo what we call cold cap therapy. And you have to clear this with your oncologist, obviously, but during the infusion of the toxic chemicals, which are aimed at the uh, cancer, obviously, you can wear a cold cap to shut down the blood flow to the scalp temporarily. And that's been very effective in mitigating hair loss due to chemo. But to certainly check with your oncologist because it doesn't allow the chemotherapy to get to the scalp. So if there's a concern there, um, obviously that needs to be addressed. The good news also is that many cancer uh, therapies, obviously, once you stop the treatments, theoretically, the hair follicles, as well as your 
bone marrow and your gut lining should all rebound, right? In a perfect world, yes. that would be great. But what we do find is that yeah. sometimes yeah. we get a more permanent alopecia from chemotherapy. Uh, this was this happened in the Taxotere group. Um, Taxotere was typically used in younger women who had uh, breast cancer risks and such. And uh, unfortunately, it caused permanent alopecia. And, uh, you know, there's been some class action lawsuits brought against uh, the Taxotere company, um, you know, and, and people can do their research on that, obviously, uh, because some of that permanent alopecia was unexpected. Now, for those patients who have lost a lot of hair due to chemo and it did not rebound, they're left with a permanent alopecia. Unfortunately, there may not be enough donor hair to actually transplant those patients back to normal. And in those cases here in my clinic, we have used with great success a medical grade hair replacement system. So think of it like a medical grade wig or what we call cranial prosthetic. So cranial prosthesis can be used onto the scalp, created beautifully through a very high-tech 3D printing process and using uh, long, beautiful, unprocessed human hair in a way that uh, creates something basically like a Hollywood head of hair, if you so choose, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better way to explain it, that is basically attached to your scalp for weeks on end, weeks at a time, and just requires a monthly maintenance visit that takes about an hour. And those are very, very uh, intricately crafted. I mean, each hair, each one of those hair systems takes 250 man hours to build and about eight to 12 weeks to create in Bologna, Italy. And that's really the, the, the best one that I've seen out there in the world uh, in terms of a cranial prosthesis. So that's how we address uh, uh, extensive hair loss. Now, if the hair is coming back, we can certainly use those other non-invasive treatments we mentioned previously, red light therapy, low-level laser, like the turbo laser cap. We can use minoxidil topically or orally. We can use nutritional supplementation to feed those follicles. We can use the PRP, regenerative treatments, to stimulate the hair to grow thicker, better, stronger. We can really throw kind of a kitchen sink at it. As it's starting to regrow and the chemotherapy is gone, let's give it a kick in the pants and uh, get those hair follicles back in action as soon as possible. And that's how I would address it. If it was me or my family member, that's what we would do. That actually is a lot of hope in many different ways for this, because I think that is, as you said, it's one of the shock things. You know, we have one in seven women roughly who will have a breast cancer or other cancer diagnosis, breast cancer being the most common. And it's happening around this time when also our hair is beginning to thin naturally mm. because of hormonal and other changes. So it's good to know that there are different ways that we can restore our hair. And I think when you see patients recovering and their hair growing back, it's like they've got a part of themselves, their confidence and their joy, even though some women will obviously be bald with pride. I think oh. we all love our hair and you know, happy if that grows back and it looks great. And so it's fantastic that there are various procedures to do that. Where yeah, look, I mean, these are all options, Clarissa. You know, we never um, project uh, onto any patient what their goals and aspirations are. And certainly, uh, yeah, you could rock the ball. That That's no problem. Um, it's certainly your choice if you'd like to do that. And there are great support groups for that uh, internationally and nationally here in the U.S. and, and around the world. Um, alopecia support groups uh, thrive and do very, very well, not just from uh, cancer and chemotherapy, but also autoimmune alopecias. And we do have, what's interesting today is that we have a couple of FDA approved drugs uh, that are in the category of JAK inhibitors that can be used to treat autoimmune alopecia, which sometimes attacks not just the whole scalp, uh, but also the whole body. 
And so that's been pretty interesting, uh, uh, you know, that category of, of treatments. But yes, you can choose to have hair or not. And that's totally fine and good. And, and to each his own. Um, but we are there here at Bauman Medical for those folks who want to help protect, enhance, and restore either their own living and growing hair or choose a non-surgical hair replacement option like the one I mentioned, the cranial prosthetic called the CNC. That, that's just, I think, fantastic that the options are there, which certainly weren't. We'd go and have a horrible wig or live with something maybe if we wanted to have our hair back and it was never quite the same. So I think that fills me with a lot of joy uh, that there are women who can look fantastic if they want to have their hair. I think you've given some great advice as well as to what someone should do if they uh, notice this. We talked about that earlier. Um, I think it would be fantastic for women to know where they can connect with you, Dr. Allen, if they're thinking, my hair is like this. How can I connect with your clinic? And are there similar options developing in other countries too? Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, uh, yeah, I've been blessed with the, uh, my clinic here in Boca for over 25 years of tr having treated, as you said, over tens of thousands of men and women who are struggling with hair loss. And so the interesting thing about my clinic is it's really become a destination location. And the way that that's happened is through our virtual connections. And so even years ago, whether it was on the phone, but today, of course, through video conferencing, Zoom and, and, and whatnot, we can connect with patients from all over the world and help them with their hair loss situation. So whether you're at your home or on your phone, you can connect with me through baumanmedical.com. And baumanmedical.com, B-A-U-M-A-N medical.com is the best place to gather information if you're on a hair loss journey or hair restoration journey. You can see thousands of pages of information that I've written personally, watch hundreds of hours of videos about hair loss and hair restoration. But most importantly, you could just simply ask a question. There's a button for that and or <laughs> schedule a consultation. Uh, and there's a button for that, right? So I'm happy to consult with anyone from across the across town or across the, the pond, as we say, um, and help them on their journey of hair restoration and get them uh, to where they need to be. And, uh, you know, I'm just uh, I'm blessed to be uh, amongst a small handful of surgeons worldwide that's board certified in hair restoration surgery and uh, to be listed amongst the top clinics, of course. But to have a track record of success in our female patients, that's a very unique uh, attribute of the yeah. practice. And as we talked about spending so much time on scalp health, even the functional medicine department, which we call Bauman Performance, uh, and even looking on into the future for our patients, you know, doing hair follicle stem cell banking, and really looking around the corner to see what we can do to help them, not just today, but what's going to be available down in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So that research component, Dr. Allen, is also really, really important. Well, obviously put all your details, but just touch as we close out on, on the future. What does the future of hair and hair restoration look like? Well, the holy grail of hair restoration really is, is hair follicle multiplication, right? Or what we commonly call hair cloning you know, in the lay, in the lay person's world. Well, we don't have that yet, but somewhere down the line, we will. I'm, I'm very optimistic that these hair biologists will figure this out, um, that everything will come together in terms of bioprinting and, 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 uh, and cell therapy and so forth. So that we'll have that technology at some point in the future. But what's really excited me about it is the fact that even though we don't have hair follicle multiplication today, we can take your hair follicles and freeze them in time. And remember, we talked about how time affects hair 
across the board, you know, it degrades yep. the hair follicles and the, and the stem cell escape from the hair follicle itself weakens every single hair follicle on our body, not just our hair. Um, so being able to harvest hair follicles non-invasively is something that's super exciting. I did mine just a couple of weeks ago, sent uh, 50 hair follicles off to the tissue bank. And now I know at my age, I've got those hair follicles frozen in time. And, and well, why would you want to do that? Well, the good news is that there's hair follicle stem cells in those uh, follicles. So those cells can be used not only to improve hair growth, hopefully, and maybe even in the, in the future, uh, have the hair cloning, but because they're mesenchymal stem cells, those stem cell populations could potentially be used for tissue regeneration, repair, and maybe even organ replacement later on. And so you don't want to wake up at 85 years old and say, oh my God, I need a new kidney or pancreas or something, and then have to use your 85-year-old stem cells for that. I would much rather have them banked at an earlier age. So if you're 10 years old and you're hearing this podcast, no, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we do that for our for our kids, right? We can bank our cord blood, you know. Uh, unfortunately, my kids yep. missed out on that. But, you know, if you're having kids today, bank their cord blood. That's very important. But also yeah. you can bank their stems, hair follicle stem cells. And that's a, a really new, brave new world, if you will, of uh, stem cell yeah. therapy that's going to be coming. We have to look around the corner and have those cells banked, you know, in our process, uh, you know, at the, at the, at the hair follicle bank. Uh, stem cell banks so that when those treatments are ready, uh, we'll have those cells and, and available to us. So it's not an expensive process either. And it's non-invasive, doesn't require surgery. And so that's the exciting part of it. That is actually very, very exciting that, you know, we're bringing this stem sector technology that has been, you know, developing at a, a rapid pace recently. And we can bring that to beautiful hair at any age. I love that. Dr. Allen, thank you so much for coming on Driving Through Menopause and sharing, you know, what is a snapshot of what is possible for women to restore their hair and have a beautiful head of hair, whatever age we are. Thank you. Absolutely. To increase their hair span, no matter what age they're at. So it's been a pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was a, an amazing deep dive scientific discussion about hair loss and some of the adjunct lifestyle and nutrition ways that we can help manage our hair and first hair loss. I hope that you really enjoyed that episode and don't forget to like, subscribe and share so that other women are facing similar menopausal symptoms and benefit wisdom of these experts who come soon. Next week, I'm joined by Dr. Amy Wilson. She's a board-certified pharmacist and nutrition coach. We will be talking about simply. So stay tuned for that one.